0: Ticklish Davey and I come from Tennessee Where everything seems ticklish to me I've been tickled by an undershirt Been tickled by a wasp I've been tickled by a yellow bumblebee Hey,
1: Hello and welcome to Mountain Talk Monday. I'm your host Kelly Haywood and today I'm in the studio with guest host Rich Kirby. You may know him from deep in tradition and we have Ted Olson here with us a professor of Appalachian Studies at ETSU and teaching in the bluegrass old time and country music program. And he's also the assistant coordinator of Mountains of Music Homecoming, which is going to be the topic of today's show. So as the title suggests, we have mountains of music here. We could have endless shows, I think, on the topic of our traditional music here in the mountains. So I'm really excited to feature music on today's program. Welcome, Ted and Rich.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Kelly. We're here in part because there's a major lot of music coming up. Of course, that's pretty much always true around here, but there's an organized bunch of music coming our way that is something that's pretty unusual in any community and fairly new here, the Mountains of Music Homecoming. And maybe the first thing to do would be to ask you, Ted, to uh, just kind of give us a brief overview of what's going to be happening on that, those 10 days in June.
3: Sure, Rich. Thank you so much for the invitation to be on your show, and thank you, Kelly, for for hosting this effort to discuss the homecoming. This is the third year of the homecoming, and it's in many respects the brainchild of Jack Hinchelwood, who's the executive director of the Crooked Road in Southwest Virginia. And of course, the Crooked Road was started more than a decade ago by Joe Wilson, who's a much acclaimed folklorist and promoter of music. So he passed away a year or two ago, and um, kind of carrying on in his memory and in the effort that he made throughout his career to, to celebrate Appalachian music traditions. The Crooked Road is hosting the Mountains of Music Homecoming, a series, like Rich said, of there'll be nine days consecutive of great music and cultural experiences throughout Southwest Virginia. And it's a very long list and so I'll just mention a few highlights, but there are 26 major concerts and then nearly a hundred and fifty Cultural activities that are in conjunction with those concerts and these are spread all across Southwest Virginia along the Crooked Road which runs for miles and miles um, you know throughout the uh, Southwestern tip of Virginia
2: uh, the, the Crooked Road let's just uh, Break in here this it's it's an imaginary road, but you could drive it if you want to but think of going from um, Hayside or, or the brakes all the way down through Bristol and back up around Galax and, and Floyd
3: right and the easternmost point would be well east of floyd then you'd get into fairham and
2: the easternmost one would be franklin county which right. is known historically for moonshine of course and then all the way over to um all the way over to lee so we're talking really the whole broad range of southwest virginia which includes several different kind of geographies and several different kind of music communities but all all part of the the Appalachian heritage and and all I think with a lot more in in common in our music than the, what the differences
3: might be, right? Uh, the, the Crooked Road encompasses the coal fields, and the kind of ridge and valley area, the uh, central part of Southwest Virginia, the lowland area that is of course kind of bisected by Interstate 81, and then also the Blue Ridge, the higher uh, mountainous region uh, to the east of there. So. Uh, you might say three distinct provinces within Southwest Virginia are all uh, covered as one travels along the the Crooked Road. And y- yes, each one of those uh, major areas has its own kind of cultural history and its you know, own traditions. And they are connected to one another, of course, but they, they are distinctive too. And some of the great American musicians, some of the most influential, of course, came from uh, places uh, along the the crooked road, and one can visit, for example, the home places of Ralph Stanley and Carter Stanley, and Jim and Jesse McReynolds, and Doc Boggs, and and uh, you know the list goes on of all the great artists, uh, Carl Martin, and you know the Blues gentlemen, and uh, many many others moving east. Uh, some of the most influential American musicians uh, can be traced there. The Carter family, of course, and and many others. The list of concerts that uh, one might want to point out include a number of concerts within a short drive of uh, the WMMT studios just over the line into Virginia. And so perhaps I could mention a couple of those. Yeah. Now let's see, in Haysay, you mentioned June 9th, there'll be a wonderful concert with Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver and the bluegrass band Virginia Whirlwind. At the Hayside Kiwanis Park, 7 p.m., June 9th. As, as an example of the kind of concert that people can look for, June 10th, uh, not terribly far from here, just frankly on the Virginia and Kentucky border at Breaks Interstate Park, there's Adam McPeak and Mountain Thunder. Adam's dad was part of a very important bluegrass band, you know, 30 years ago, and Adam's carrying on the tradition. That'll be at 7 p.m. at Breaks Interstate Park maybe a couple other concerts to mention close to home here, would be the Stanley Brothers tribute. There'll be a, a major event commemorating the musical achievement and the contributions of Carter and, and Ralph, of course. The featured headliners of that concert will include Ralph Stanley too, as well as Ricky Skaggs and Larry Sparks, and that will be in Norton at the Country Cabin on June 12th, and that'll be at 7.30 p.m., So it's a long list of interesting concerts, and the full list is on the website. Uh, People could Google Mountains of Music Homecoming and get the full list. This is a representative uh, sampling. There are some others perhaps we could talk about a little bit later in the show.
2: One thing that's kind of remarkable about this is that the Cricket Road organization itself is not putting on 120 concerts. You've got an extraordinary coalition of People and organizations and presenters and venues across this whole region working together. How did this happen?
3: That's a good observation because it is a coalition. I mean, the Cricket Road concept wouldn't work without the communication and the participation of all the many, many people who are involved. Venues that some of them have a deep history that have signed on to participate on the Cricket Road, but predated the Crooked Road by many years, including, for example, the Carter Fault, you know, as one example of of an older established venue that decided to get involved because they believed in the concept. And And there are many others one could mention that did similar things, you know. To get that going, frankly, Jack Hinshelwood, executive director, and his team reach out and coordinate all these activities. And it's a, it's a year-long process to plan for the next year's homecoming. So this one, the one planned for 2017, between June 9th and June 17th, is when this year's homecoming will take place in Southwest Virginia along the Crooked Road. This has been in preparation for a year now. So it requires you know, a lot of local meetings where different representatives of the different venues and different civic leaders and citizen groups gather together and talk about what the Mountains of music homecoming could be for them. And so in some ways it's put together by mutual will that it succeed and that, you know, frankly won't succeed without input from local and community uh, organizers and leaders as well as the local venues kind of buying into the concept and joining in. And I would say that the Crooked Road has to establish good rapport and has established good rapport with all these venues and there's a lot of conversation back and forth as far as how to make it meaningful and then there's just a process of delineating which ven- venue will have which you know artist performing there and that's you know something that's negotiated so that perhaps one year a big name in bluegrass might appear at a certain venue the next year there might be a, an arrangement where another venue will have kind of a headliner act of that stature and so I know that Jack Hinsherwood tries very hard to make it fair, diplomatic, uh, equally distributed. So,
1: I'm wondering, because it's been mentioned among many other things, a lot of folks call it the silver buckshot that we need to have a diversified economy here in what is known as the co-fields, tourism being one of the many things. Sometimes it's really hard. We've got a lot of people working toward this same goal. And I know it's true in Ledger County. We've started the Ledger County Culture Hub just to organize the organizations in Letcher County that are putting on events and hoping for collaboration and getting pretty far, actually. So I'm wondering, with all of these people involved, what would you say is the common ground? Where does everyone agree?
3: Right. That's an excellent question. I would say from observing the homecoming over a couple years, uh, quite close up. The common ground is pride of place throughout the Crooked Road region. Every last person who gets involved has great pride in, of who who they are, where they come from, the history of Southwest Virginia, and by extension, you know, larger units, the coal fields, or Appalachia, or the you know the Blue Ridge, whichever local kind of. Subregion of of the larger Appalachian region, they might uh, kind of feel some bond to or identity to. It is that pride that makes people work really hard to make this work for them. And it absolutely started as a tourism project. You know, Joe Wilson, who started the Crooked Road, with Todd Christensen, who is a kind of a community and regional planner, based in Southwest Virginia, kind of worked this out that the Crooked Road would serve to bring people into the region as guests, as well as build upon the pre-existent cultural traditions and, and uh, community capital, as it were, that, that already existed there. And so the combination of celebrating all that is local, including music, but not exclusive to music, because I, I think I should also point out that the homecoming is about the totality of cultural experience in Southwest Virginia. And people can realize that by looking on the website and seeing all the the cultural experiences which are not directly musical-related that are offered during uh, the Homecoming a series of events in June 2017. But uh, this is very much about celebrating place, celebrating culture, and bringing tourists in, tourists who want to stay because they believe in the place. So they stay a little while or some of them... Relocate, You know, It's we've, there's been that phenomenon as well of people actually choosing to remain after <laughs> visiting. So, you know, it, it brings about valuable change. But I think another thing to point out is that the homecoming is very much about celebrating traditions the way that they are. They don't seek to change those traditions in order to cater to the outsiders. I think that's a very important point is that they... The Mountains of Music Homecoming is very much about representing culture as it is and as it has been. And there's a a nuanced effort by the Homecoming staff to choose artists and choose programming that is faithful to traditions that exist. It's not a situation where they're trying to necessarily bring in the biggest names in order to attract the largest numbers of people. It's much more about acknowledging all that is rich and valuable from that region of Southwest Virginia and, by extension, Appalachia, and celebrating what uh, those cultural traditions, bringing them to people both locals and people from the outside, and acknowledging that this is what it is, this is who we are, and we're proud of it. And so, it's it's very much uh, uh, about showcasing traditions in the context of a full kind of holistic understanding of what those traditions are and what they mean. And so I think one thing that people find at the homecoming is that there is definitely an effort to see the musicians as citizens, as multifaceted people with families and connections. And and there's efforts to uh, interact with musicians on stage, you know, interview them in front of the audience, to ask them uh, what they think about being from Southwest Virginia, what that means to them, or if they're not from Southwest Virginia, because some of the artists do come from elsewhere, there's an effort to have those people kind of observe and react to this very unique effort to celebrate culture in place and to contextualize that culture through conversation and interviews and and other efforts to educate as well as entertain. So frankly, there's a, a strong uh, educational value to the Homecoming, but yet it's utterly entertaining because some of the finest traditional artists in Southwest Virginia and, by extension, across Appalachia and elsewhere come to the Crooked Road during the Homecoming uh, series of concerts and participate. I said the word elsewhere because I wanted to make the point that one thing that each year happens with the Homecoming is that a certain country or culture that has influenced Appalachian culture is invited every year to also participate. So it, it provides you know that other perspective on where Appalachian culture may have come from. So for example, last year it was Ireland. There were some Irish uh, musicians. This year it's Scotland that's being celebrated. Um, so people in 2017 can hear some acclaimed Scottish musicians performing around uh, Southwest Virginia, including Archie Fisher, the great ballad singer, or Alister Frazier, the great fiddler, and Norman Kennedy, the great ballad singer. I do want to suggest that one outcome of the homecoming is that people learn to appreciate Appalachian culture, but they also learn to understand the network, the historical relationships that created Appalachian culture. It's a holistic kind of festival, in, in a sense. One thing that
2: may play into that, I think this goes back to the what I understand was the idea of the crooked road in the first place was and I think this was probably Joe Wilson's doing, that this was to be uh, about music that could be made by people sitting down playing face-to-face, that it does it's something that does not have to have a stage and a million dollars of electronics and a, a giant production company to have this music. It can be on the stage, sure, but it its home, its origin is face-to-face music making. Is that your understanding?
3: Well, that's right. It's definitely... Joe Wilson's intent to celebrate home music, you know, to showcase the everyday music of everyday folks who had a very rich tradition to draw from. And so Homecoming, I think, picks up on that approach. And although some of the concerts that we, we, I think, use the term major concerts only to distinguish them from more impromptu types of music making that happened during that same nine-day period, but even those major concerts feel like they're happening on a porch or, you know, in somebody's picnic area or that sort of thing. It, it, there's an effort to break down the arbitrary barriers between stage and audience. And I think that's very much was the intent of the, of the Crooked Road, is to look at the music of the region as, you know, social music, music of everyday life. That's, I think, very much the intention of the homecoming as well as to replicate that. And there will be a series of jam sessions as well that are structured into the homecoming, and that's important to point out. A couple other events that are happening during uh, Mountain's Music Homecoming that will seem or feel much more like a community event rather than a formal stage production, there are going to be two or what are being termed the Crooked Roads Old Time Music and Dance Spectacular, so some really talented um, old-time musicians and, and and dancers are going to be joining up in, in a couple locations, one of which will be at Duffield Natural Tunnel State Park Amphitheater, 7 o'clock on June 15th, and there'll be a second one that will be occurring in Damascus, and that will be June 16th at 7 p.m. at the Rock School in Damascus. These will be very much like uh, kind of community sh- socials with people, Um, in a very impromptu way, trading tunes, jamming together. But now I'll point out that these will be some of the leading old-time musicians, I think, by general consensus throughout southwest Virginia, joining for those events. So it'll have, for all intents and purposes, an informality to it, but it'll be a highly, highly experienced group of people jamming together. And then the dancing will no doubt be somewhat spontaneous too. And I know that there'll be an effort to explain the traditions even as they perform them.
1: One thing I love about going to concerts just over the border is there's always a lot more dancers at old-time shows than there are here, <laughs> and I just love it. I could sit and watch it all day and and also participate, so that's wonderful, but... I think about all of the news media that has been swarming this area lately. We've had CBS and Fox and Al Jazeera and CNN, and they're coming back multiple times. And they're really curious about us. And then a few years ago, I was made aware of this phenomenon outside of the region called hillbilly chic. So if you Google Hillbilly Chic, you'll see that it is this style of design that tries to mimic country folks or hillbilly folks. And there's even restaurants that have been built up in places on the West Coast and in New York around the idea of Appalachian culture. So what makes something like the Crooked Road, because we have listeners all over the world, and we podcast now, so we have people, you know, all over the United States that listen, if they're curious, and they really want to experience Appalachia as it is, what makes these events ones that they would want to attend?
3: Well, I think you kind of alluded to an element of authenticity, you know, as opposed to something more stereotyped. I think that's the big Uh, difference is there's nothing premeditated or packaged about the, you know, the concerts or the other cultural experiences to be held during the Mountains of Music homecoming. They're all selected because they're organic. They're kind of coming up from within the communities, uh, designed by members of the community who know the culture, you know, from the inside out and would have no time or interest in putting on airs or you know, worrying about, you know, how the outside world views them. So this is very much an inside the culture perspective on Appalachian traditions.
1: And these are attended as much by locals as they are by outsiders, correct?
3: Well, that's right. I, I would say in terms of the divide, definitely the larger percentage would be locals. I do know that the Crooked Road is interested in carrying its story very, um, how can I say, they, they want it to be owned and embraced by locals. And so in some ways, although it's about tourism, yet the Crooked Road doesn't want to attract tourism at the expense of authenticity. And so while the Homecoming is being pitched to people outside the region very much because that's one of the mandates, I I suspect, of of the funding, yet Homecoming and the larger Crooked Road effort is to represent cultural experiences as they are. And the, the hillbilly chic kind of element is perhaps an outgrowth of the fact that many people around the world yearn for that feeling of belonging to place such as Appalachian people maybe to some degree take for granted because it's so much a part of everyday experience in Appalachia. But the homecoming is very much an insider kind of representation of culture. You mentioned food and restaurants and that sort of thing. One of the celebration, a series of events within the larger homecoming, larger events being offered in Southwest Virginia in June are what we're calling three f- festivals. Hmm. And these are, should we say, Appalachian haute cuisine offered in the context of local music and, and local folk uh, kind of helping to prepare it. So that might be an example of a consciousness that Appalachian foodways have really interested people worldwide. And so the festivals are being offered as a way to bring uh, those who understand Appalachian food traditions extremely well, preparing food for anyone who wants to attend these, and the people in attendance get to learn some of the ways in which food has historically been prepared in Appalachia, but also be made aware of some of the possibilities for reinterpreting the recipes and the the approaches of the past. And so there's a a festival, for example, not terribly far from WMMT Studios that is being held in St. Paul, Virginia, at the Western Front Hotel on June 17th. And there will be food prepared by some of the leading kind of regional chefs and cooks food writers will be in attendance, including, I, I believe, one of the recent recipient of the James Beard uh, Book Awards. So uh, she'll be there Robin as well. Lundy. exactly oh
1: Exactly. i got to say the name.
3: <laughs> and she is from Eastern Kentucky. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, yes exactly. Corbin. Mm-hmm. I know you're all very proud of her. We are. <laughs> so she'll be there. Um, Dory Freeman is a wonderful musician from uh, near the Galax, Virginia, will be performing that night. So that's one example of efforts made during homecoming to bring locals and, shall we say, people from other places into the same environment to celebrate Appalachian culture and maybe to re-envision the possibilities for that culture for, for the present day. Um, and so that's kind of the closest, I suppose, that the homecoming comes to acknowledging the uh, hillbilly chic. You know, <laughs> the fact is that Appalachian cuisine is, is uh, internationally renowned be that as it may, it's a fun event and uh, some of the music to be heard there are three of the festival events are some of the leading music makers of, of today in Appalachia so again that's the whole effort to kind of put culture in context in in interesting places with interesting stories to tell
2: The whole idea of authenticity brings up the thought that we're, you're sort of potentially walking a kind of a tricky line because you can't really observe something without trying to change it in a way i guess anything could be overwhelmed by lots of people coming from someplace else to try to you know to to take part in something that really only has room for a relatively small number of people in other words if I'm thinking, for example, of the Union Grove Fiddlers Convention that got to be, it was at, started back in the 20s, I think, in, in a little community in North Carolina and been going on every year. And some people found out about it in the 60s with the best of intentions, you know, so the Folkways did a record of it, and it was a wonderful thing. But somehow it just got into this national consciousness of some place to go to be, who knows even what, but it sort of turned into something that bikers, kind of would you know would descend on it and at one point they even put up a screen you know in front of the stage so people couldn't throw bottles at the performers and so it just totally disintegrated the the event and so it seems like that we're not talking about anything like that this the structure the social structure here is a lot stronger and saner than that
3: but you're right uh, you know a word like authenticity is is in some ways a loaded word and i do know that joe wilson was well aware of this Phenomenon of the more you kind of market tradition, the more you run the risk of changing tradition by making it, you know, chic. As we talked about hillbilly chic, it's possibly supposed to love a tradition to its extinction or its ultimate uh, compromise. And I will say that the crooked road, uh, you know, the current executive director Jack Hinchwood is well aware of the, you know the sensitivities of this. And I would suspect that the, the thing that keeps cultural representation honest along the crooked road is the local buy-in to the, the concept. You know, It's the locals who navigate those decisions in many respects as far as how things are represented, how things are interpreted, um, what happens where. And so I suspect that that's the major, shall we say, smart decision at the early stages of The Crooked Road to keep things honest, to keep things organic, to keep things from trending toward more of a disney view of culture, which, you know, happens sometimes when, when cultural traditions are perhaps too uh, loosely interpreted or interpreted by people who don't understand those traditions. Always a risk.
0: Someone about the house. Why, I couldn't really say. Well, they asked me for the paddle, but it's all in splinters now, or they wore it out, tickling me. Hey,
4: hey, hey, hey. <laughs> oh, Hi, this is Brett Ratliff. We are a not-for-profit community radio station, and twice a year we come to you to ask for your help to keep community radio alive here in the mountains of southeast Kentucky and southwest Virginia. We also serve portions of southern West Virginia, east Tennessee, and western North Carolina. We rely on listeners like you to help pay the bills and to keep this unique voice of the mountain people and our communities alive and well in order to share our story with the whole world through the airwaves of WMMT. If you appreciate WMMT and like what you hear, please consider giving us a donation. You can do so by logging onto to our website at wmmt.org and leaving your tax-deductible feel-good contribution today. Again, that's wmmt.org. We appreciate your support, and thanks for listening.
5: WMMT is
1: truly your radio station.
2: We have volunteer DJs from your community playing your favorite music.
1: And with WMMT's wide variety of public affairs programming, we're telling your stories. Good evening and welcome to the Breaking Beans Radio Show. Welcome to History Alive on WMMT Mountain Community Radio.
4: Hello and welcome to radio from the heart of Appalachia to the young at heart right here on your listener supported at WMMT.
1: You're listening to Shoe Buddy High Ground Radio. Welcome to this edition of Mountain Talk Monday. This is Mountain News and World Report. Tune into our public affairs programming Monday through Thursday from 6 to 7 p.m. and on Sundays from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. You can find the public affairs schedule online at wmmt.org, where you can also stream the latest shows or look through our archive.
0: You can also find Mountain Talk Monday and Mountain News and World Report as podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher.
1: Dedicated to real stories, real news, and real people radio, this is your WMMT.
0: Box. Lord, it was a sight to see. Well, he sneezed and coughed and hocked until I thought he'd have a fit, and then he took me out and go me.
1: Listening to Mountain Talk Monday, and I'm your host Kelly Haywood here with guest host Rich Kirby from Deep in Tradition here on WMMT and Ted Olson, who's the professor of Appalachian Studies at East Tennessee State and the assistant coordinator of Mountains of Music Homecoming. And we're talking about the homecoming today, and one of the things that I remember thinking growing up was that there wasn't a lot to do. Now, of course, we go outside, and, well, maybe not so much anymore, but we we did. But as you're describing 20 concerts and over 100 places to visit, I just have to think there's plenty to do here if you step out of your door and go. Just how rich of an experience that one could get in attending such concerts. Let's talk a little bit about the type of music that is featured. Is it just one style of music? Is it all old time, all bluegrass?
3: There's a conscious effort to have a diversity of music represented as long as there can be an argument that it's regional music. So most definitely I think a line is drawn not wanting the music to be represented along the homecoming to be highly electronic or this sort of thing. I'm I don't know if there's a hard and fast rule as far as the crooked road is concerned, but there's definitely a sense that there are multiple traditions that kind of emerge within the the social structure of Southwest Virginia and they're all important to represent. So people will hear old time of its many dimensions, bluegrass for sure. Some Americanas represented, we mentioned Dory Freeman, you know, in some ways she might be called an Americana artist. Amethyst Kia is another artist who's getting a lot of attention in the Americana uh, world. But these artists, Dory and Amethyst, definitely are more closely connected to traditional sounds. And so the more traditional side of Americana is represented as well as, you know, we talked about international musics being represented. Those that have a connection to Appalachian music are are represented. Blues music, gospel music. These are some other genres that are represented. Ballad singing is being represented at... uh, the homecoming in a, a large measure this year. I want to stand up and cheer here because ballads are the least commercial of
2: all forms of traditional music and they are so powerful and so beautiful and so important uh, as well as being so ancient and yet because nobody ever made ten cents singing ballads you know you just never get a chance to hear that so I think it's, it's just great that somebody is actually finally putting a spotlight on that tradition.
1: I think it's funny though that you say that Rich because a lot of times when you're sitting around with a group of musicians and you've got somebody walking up from the outside, one of the first things they say do you know Pretty Polly? <laughs> 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 so for uh, not to be the most popular of the genres, I think a good story and a ballad is rememberable.
3: That's right, they're definitely influential upon old time and country and bluegrass and, and yet, you're right Rich, and that they're also kind of marginalized. This third year of the Homecoming, the theme that we're promoting to kind of the the central theme is called the year we sang. And so, of course, singing, a cappella singing of ballads had to be represented, right? So um, the Homecoming is offering, in fact, four major events that are ballad-related. And Rich, you're part of one of them. I just wanted to brag on you that uh, we wanted you to be part of one of them, and uh, and so we so appreciate that. And uh, that will be an event in Pembroke, Virginia, the Mountain Lake Lodge, June 12th at 7 p.m. You'll be performing ballads alongside, we mentioned Archie Fisher from Scotland before as well. You'll be performing alongside Kay Justice and Carol Elizabeth Jones. So some wonderful singers will be sharing the same stage and no doubt the ballad singing will be put into cultural context like the Homecoming likes to do. And that's one example of the ballad concerts that are being offered. I'm really honored to be in that company, I can tell you. Yeah, we're looking forward to that one for sure, Rich. Closer to the studios here, one ballad concert that's coming up in Emory, Virginia, at Emory & Henry College on June 11th. Archie Fisher, Sheila K. Adams, and Elizabeth Laprelle will be singing ballads. So that's a little bit closer here, but of course, not too much further afield. Rich will be performing, as we said. and. There's also another ballad concert being offered at Ferrum College at the Blue Ridge Institute and Museum, featuring John Roberts from England, uh, IFA uh, Clancy from Ireland, uh, Norman Kennedy from Scotland, and Bobby McMillan from Western North Carolina. So that's an example of a concert that is overtly trying to put ballad singing into cultural context, showing how the different national traditions kind of inter- uh, wove their influences, and that will be on June 9th at 7 p.m. at Ferrum College. Also, people who love ballads might want to attend. We're offering at the Birthplace of Country Music Museum in Bristol, Virginia, at 2 p.m. on June 11th, so earlier in the day than the one at Emory and Henry College. Archie Fisher, Elizabeth Laprelle, and Sheila K. Adams will be doing a, a ballads workshop so people could actually learn about techniques and you know get more advice about how they too could sing ballads in a more traditional way. So these are just an example of of the effort to celebrate balladry in a very kind of conscious and direct way and no doubt a lot of interesting sharing of uh, different versions of ballads among different people from different places will take place and so the whole phenomenon of balladry I think will be demonstrated on stages there. Also close to the studio here, so just over the line from Kentucky into Virginia. There'll be a couple of concerts that I think folks will be interested in. Uh, Ronnie Reno and Reno Tradition. Um, Ronnie Reno, of course, son of Don Reno, the great bluegrass banjo player, will be performing at uh, Pennington Gap at the Lee Theater at 7 p.m. on June 13th. And one interesting thing about that concert, of course, Ronnie's a uh, media star, you know, as well as being a great musician. So he's got uh, following on his television show from all over the country. Um, we're looking forward to him being in our neck of the woods, but uh, he's going to screen some rare footage of his father playing with Red Smiley more than 50 years ago that hasn't really been seen. He's going to be talking about that and sharing the, the family perspective on, you know, what it was like to grow up in the household of a Bluegrass Pioneer. So that'll be an interesting event. That'll be shortly before the concert. I think it'll be at 5 p.m. at the Lee Theater in Pennington Gap. And then one other concert that's very close to here would be the Jesse McReynolds and the Virginia Boys concert at Coburn at Lay's Hardware Center for the Arts. And that'll be at uh, 7 p.m. on June 16th. So the great Jesse McReynolds. Interesting thing there is that Jesse's basically returning home there, you know, Mm -hmm. having grown up right down the road from Coburn. The stage at uh,
2: Lay's Hardware is a replica of Jim and Jesse's front porch.
3: Fabulous, yeah. So it will be a a literal and figurative homecoming for Jesse McReynolds, and it's great to have him back in the area. So those are just a few more examples of concerts that are in this general area. But there's a varied assortment of concerts that can be viewed by people on the website.
1: And this website is www.mtnsofmusic.com. So mountains abbreviated, mtnsofmusic.com. All of these events are happening between June 9th and 17th, correct?
3: That's correct. A little while ago you talked about, you know, when you're one's growing up here, you know, spending a lot of time outside and that sort of thing. One of the great gifts of living in Appalachia is, is being outside and enjoying this beautiful area and, and all its... Biological diversity. And I do want to say that many of the cultural experiences that are being offered in conjunction with these great concerts are outdoors activities, including canoe rides on the Clinch River, for example, or one option that people can participate in, guided hikes. The state parks and some of the local um, parks are, are very much involved with this effort. So people should be aware that they can get some good activity during the daytime and then go to a concert at night. And it's, it's definitely structured to kind of give people a, a, a complete experience in, in Southwest Virginia.
2: This is taking place at a time when throughout the, particularly in the coal fields, but, but in the surrounding regions as well, rural regions and Appalachian rural regions especially, are very uncertain economic future people in eastern Kentucky and West Virginia and East Tennessee and in Virginia, of course, are all in different ways trying to grapple with that. It's kind of come to be at or near the center of the public discussion now is, you know, how are we going to sustain ourselves? What are we going to do? Things are changing. And I've seen in particular across Southwest Virginia, um, there's been a lot, a lot of energy, kind of positive energy going into this. In some cases, this can be, can turn into a kind of a blame game and people can start, whose fault is this? But there's been a lot of communities uh, and not just in Virginia but certainly in Virginia there's a lot of people that just saying okay what are we gonna do going forward and there's, but there's a lot of ideas coming out that we sort of hope will mesh with each other and get some kind of critical mass could you talk some about the kinds of cultural stuff that's going on through the year when it's not the mountains of music homecoming the other stuff in the communities and and your work and and uh, the Crooked Road and that sort of thing
3: sure Well, for example, I was uh, heavily involved, I think, a decade ago and and more with the interpretation of the story of the Bristol Sessions. And so I suppose one of the major venues that we should talk about at this point along the Crooked Road would be the birthplace of Country Music Museum. I mean, that's an example of a homegrown celebration of culture that's been very successful. Um, The building is beautiful there in uh, Bristol, right on the border. Technically speaking, the Bristol Sessions happen on the Tennessee side, but the celebration... Two blocks away. <laughs> yeah, two blocks away, right, acro- right across State Street. And folks probably are well aware that uh, Bristol, the main street is the state line, so it's all relative. But two blocks away on the Virginia side is this beautiful museum that uh, the community rallied together to have built. And my situation at ETSU and my scholarly interest, I helped them to kind of work on the interpretive elements for the museum, how to tell the story of the Bristol sessions and that sort of thing. And I can certainly say, uh, living just down the road, that that's an active cultural venue virtually all year. I mean, other than maybe the holidays, it's, it's open and, and uh, attracting tourists from all over the world. So I suppose that's a perfect illustration of every day of the year, positive energy that has revitalized community there. Other venues, of course, also deserve some credit for their own efforts to celebrate local traditions and local stories, local culture, and to make it work when there isn't a festival happening. You know, there are some major activities happening in different places. I mean, the Carter Fold is famously a situation where Jeanette and, and Joe and And now Rita Forrester and other members of the Carter family have worked together to commemorate the great story of AP and Sarah and and, and Mabel Carter and and all that they achieved in the music industry and leaving such an incredible legacy of songs and and recordings. The Carter Fold does this year-round, so Mm -hmm. other than major holidays, they're open and they're bringing people from all over the world to attend and hear music in the context of where the Carter family grew up and lived, and that's very valuable. So those are two examples of uh, cultural endeavors that are very successful. Another thing that uh, I'd like to just uh, mention,
2: and, you're, and you know this better than I do, but it's the, it's the JAM program, the Junior Appalachian yeah. Musicians. We have a apple shop that does the pick-and-bow program that, that provides after-school music instruction in Letcher County, but JAM, I think... Uh, encompasses even North Virginia
3: and even North Carolina. Right. It's also at East Tennessee and, and uh, other places. Really? It's really grown. The jam program just has emerged almost, you know, at the same time as the Crooked Road. In, in other words, just a little over a decade ago, this was all kind of launched and incredibly successful. And Crooked Road is very much involved with this too. And um, they host annual events that bring young musicians together to learn, take workshops, perform for one another. The Crooked Road is definitely part of that larger kind of phenomenon and, and have definitely been played an important role. But in East Tennessee State University, which has the acclaimed bluegrass, old-time, and country music program that you know I help with, that was uh, initiated in the 80s. The jam program is more recent, but members of the of the faculty of the Bluegrass program teach in the JAM program and help to uh, bring that into the high schools in Upper East Tennessee. And so you know, we have this phenomenon often in, on the ETSU campus of high school students coming to campus on, as field trips so they can hear um, these faculty members and some of the invited guests from the community perform. And so there's kind of a back and forth exchange of ideas. and. You might say that the younger people are giving a lot of inspiration from the gift of music that's uh, passed along from older folks to younger folks. That's definitely all positive energy there. At the Mountains of Music Homecoming, some of the performers are quite young, um, and that's by design. Is that you know the, the byproduct of people getting involved with music making at a young age? I mean, Ricky Skaggs is almost one of the most famous examples of a child prodigy in in. Uh, American roots music, and of course from Eastern Kentucky, but uh, we're seeing, you know, young people emerging um, all over Appalachia who are just phenomenally talented, and some of them are being tapped into as performers at the homecoming, mm-hmm. and so I think that that's uh, you know hope for the future as far as dissemination of tradition. It's, it's definitely happening, and it's happening in a, in a very powerful way. So, yeah.
2: So you work in a. Um old time bluegrass country music program at, at East Tennessee State. What's life like for your graduates? Are, are people able to find
3: work in that field? That's a really good question. I'm not sure the final word is out on on, on that, but I can say that some musicians who are products of the program in, in various you know generations or iterations of the program have gone on to Careers in music. I mean, I, I suppose everybody on this earth has heard of Kenny Chesney. You know, he came from the program in the in the '80s. Um, one of the the first truly big names to, you know, huge names to come from the from the program. I mean, there have been other success stories at you know at a considerable levels too that uh, have had wonderful careers in in music, are enjoying them as we speak. I think one thing to point out is that we try to encourage students to you know flexible attitude about these things i mean certainly some of the graduates of the program perform music on a full-time basis in various bands i know that there are several that for example play in pigeon forge gatlinburg and some of those venues there on a regular basis and so sort are of making a living that way others are perhaps uh, soloists or or leading careers that are know, getting attention. Uh, I mentioned earlier Amethyst Kia. She's an ETSU uh, Bluegrass program alum. The, Becky Buller is getting a lot of attention in the bluegrass field. She's an alum. Uh, there are many others that we could mention and, and, and don't have time to. But we also try to you know be realistic because some of the um, careers that are that people are going to have coming from that program might be you know, infrastructural. They might be helping out with um, engineering or, or recording or, or um, helping uh, you know, with tours or maybe with curation of music. One of the students from the program is now one of the museum curators at the Birthplace of Country Music Museum, Chris Trulson. and so you know, there's a, a sense that, yeah, there are only so many jobs to be had in the music industry. But music can enrich a person's life and can give one kind of the gift of making connections with other people and opening doors that way. It certainly can't guarantee a job in the music industry. We're not perhaps exactly sure where some of the students who who have recently graduated will end up, where they'll go. But uh, it seems as if the preliminary sense is that people are finding their way in the world, some actually performing, some um, perhaps managing or or doing the infrastructural roles in the music industry, some doing other things, but with their lives uh, you know profoundly enriched by the experience of studying music. Well, I think there's a comparison
2: to be made with sports programs you don't
3: you don't judge the sports
2: program strictly by how many people might get to play in the NFL or the NBA. that's right. Um, the value of the program is far greater than what that would indicate
3: at one level you could call it kind of character building, you know, and I I definitely think music studies of any kind, be it, you know, roots music or classical music, that sort of thing, you know, can be seen as definitely character building. It can can introduce uh, people to, like I said, the, the world of relationships, the world of drawing connections with other people, learning how to, you know, think outside the box, you know, metaphorically speaking, have, you know, a more reflexive view of how to negotiate you know, an ever-changing world. Music gives people or any kind of arts study give people certain skills that allow them to you know, navigate changes that occur in the, in the world. Um, you know sometimes people say, you know, how are you going to make a living with an arts degree or that sort of thing? Well we've seen ample evidence at ETSU that people are making a, you know, a good living for themselves and also enjoying everything that they're doing, living creatively and, and changing the world as they go.
1: As an English major uh, turned radio journalist, talk show host, I'll say you'll find something to do um, if you uh, try hard enough um, eventually.
2: Yeah, as an ex-history major, I'll second that. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah, so I keep thinking as a mother of three daughters, all these events that you've mentioned seem really family friendly, so are kids welcome at, at these events?
3: Absolutely. Um, kids are encouraged. And there is uh, pricing that is, a shall we say, appealing to families, trying to encourage families to attend. So there's um, pricing that is uh, uh, kid-friendly. But most of all, the concerts are kind of geared toward the whole family. I mean, there'll be something for everyone at one of these concerts or one of these cultural experiences. They are very much for the whole community.
1: Right, so uh, we're coming up on the end of the hour. And uh, I want to make sure that everyone has the website to go look at the schedule and the pricing and get tickets and so on and so forth. It's uh, Mountains of Music, so if you Google that and Crooked Road, you should get there. But it also can be found at www.mtnsofmusic.com. And when we do the posting here on the WMMT website of this episode, I'll have all the links that you'll need to plan You could even plan a vacation around these events and as you said do things during the day and do music at night It sounds like a whole heap of fun to me really And another thing that I keep thinking is Ricky Skaggs at the Country Cabin That's pretty intimate You know we talk about Apple Shop Theater being an intimate setting to see music Seeing such a big name at a venue like that is pretty special So this is a lifetime memory making potential here
3: And and Ricky will be coming to talk about Ralph and Carter Stanley, so he'll be talking about his heroes, and that's pretty special.
1: Tremendously. I want to thank Rich Kirby from Deep in Tradition here on WMMT for guest hosting, and Ted Olson, who uh, is the professor of Appalachian Studies and teaching bluegrass, old time, and country music and the program there and is the assistant coordinator of the Mountains of Music Homecoming. It uh, really sounds like a big treat event. So thank you for both for coming and being on Mountain Talk and thank you for listening.
2: Thanks, thank you.
0: I've been tickled in the morning and I'm tickled in the night. Something's always sure to tickle me. Hey, 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 hey. Ah,
1: The music in this episode of Mountain Talk Monday was Track Six, "Something's Always Sure to Tickle Me," by ETSU alum and Southwest Virginia native Corbin Hazlett, from On Top of Old Smoky, New Old-Time Smoky Mountain Music CD. This CD was recorded at the ETSU Recording Lab, and proceeds from its sale go to the Great Smoky Mountains State Park. You can purchase the album at www.SmokiesInformation.org. And be sure to catch Corbin Hazlett at the Mountains of Music Homecoming 2017. The Ohio Valley's addiction crisis has brought another health problem. As rising numbers of needle drug users are contracting a serious form of heart infection. It's called endocarditis. And the rate doubled in the region over a decade. At the University of Kentucky, doctors are creating a team approach to save lives. But as Mary Meehan reports, doctors must change their traditional approach to get to the heart of the problem.
6: Since 2008, University of Kentucky researcher Jennifer Havens has tracked the health of hundreds of addicts in Hazard, Kentucky. She says dirty needles continue to contribute to the rise in endocarditis.
1: They may or may not be sharing syringes, but they're reusing the same syringe several times and it it accumulates bacteria, which they're basically shooting into their body.
6: As bacteria accumulate and infect a heart valve, endocarditis appears as everything from mild flu-like symptoms to piercing pain. Emergency surgery is required in the most extreme cases. Treatment also involves a long hospital stay and consistent doses of antibiotics. Haven says traditional cardiac units aren't designed to treat addiction.
1: So if you're not treating their substance abuse issue in the hospital, they go- can potentially go right back out and reinfect themselves.
6: UK infectious disease specialist Dr. Saritha Gamadan and Dr. Laura Fanucci, who specializes in internal medicine and addiction, are creating a unique team approach for endocarditis after seeing the same young patients again and again.
1: It definitely does affect us in terms of, our heart really goes out when when I see a very young patient, like in their 20s, just in the hospital, crying and sobbing that they want to quit.
6: But addressing the social challenges involving addiction requires skills beyond traditional medical treatment. We all need to work together. It has to be
1: multiple disciplines working with the patient being the center, but it, it's, I don't think it's going to be successful if we all work in isolation because the patient has other behaviors that my antibiotics will not cure.
6: Such an approach requires education of both patients and providers. A lot of patients with untreated
5: addiction very feel very stigmatized by the healthcare community and by society in general.
6: On the other hand, health providers often see only the ravages of addiction but very few people in recovery. Seeing for a
5: long time the complications of untreated substance use disorder, I think some healthcare professionals start to feel hopeless and that, starts, and that will um, engender a culture of frustration.
6: Fanucci says the answer lies in better communication across medical and addiction services that have traditionally operated independently. She says a key shift is recognizing the need for sustained medical intervention. Trying to, particularly with opioids, trying to
5: be successful with um, detox only or abstinence only is part of the reason that we're in this problem that we're in,
6: unfortunately. That means bridging the hospital stay with drugs like naloxone that help with withdrawal, plus outside support like counseling or treatment. The analogy
5: is if someone comes in to the ER sick with uncontrolled diabetes and we tell them to stop eating sweets, but we send them home without insulin. And then we wonder when they come back why their, why their diabetes is a problem again.
6: According to the CDC, annual Medicaid spending on endocarditis is more than $700 million, a number likely to rise if treatment doesn't change to also address the growing healthcare impact of substance abuse. For the Ohio Valley Resource, I'm Mary Meehan in Lexington, Kentucky.
1: The Ohio Valley Resource is made possible with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and WMMT.